Hey this is Sayyam Botani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science a podcast for data science enthusiasts where i interview practitioners researchers and calculators about their journey experience and talk all things about data science Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chai Time Data Science Show. In this episode, I interview Andrew Shaw, a fast AI student and creator of Music Autobot, which is an AI-powered pop music generator. Andrew has a background in computer science, iOS, and software development, and we talk all about his background and his journey into the field of machine learning and his journey as a fast AI student. We also talk all about. Uh, music autobot you should definitely check out uh, the website which is musicautobot.com we talk about the idea the efforts and the tech behind it we also discuss andrew's journey as a fast ai student and the fast ai dawn bench result you can find a link to the original fast ai uh, dawn bench blog post in the description of this podcast this uh, is going to be a nlp slash transformer release week for the podcast uh, on sunday which will be the next release uh, i'll be releasing the interview with the cto of hugging face and we'll be talking even more about transformers and nlp so stay tuned for that for now here's my interview with andy show please enjoy the show I'm on the call with Andrew Shaw. Hello, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thanks, Sanjay. Thanks for having me. So, uh, before we talk all about how you'll be putting EDM producers out of their jobs pretty soon, <laughs> could you tell us how did you get interested in machine learning and uh, when did you decide to start your journey in this field? Yeah. Uh, so it started around two years ago. Uh, I, I left my job. at Yahoo and I was just a little bit burned out. I was doing iPhone development for around mm-hmm. six years and I was trying to think about what would be like the next cool thing to work on um, and just like do a little side projects. And at the time, the two big things were like deep learning and crypto. Yeah. And so I was just taking a bunch of video, uh, watching a bunch of videos and a bunch of classes on them. And mm-hmm. as soon as I came across the fast AI video, I was like, oh, this is it. I know between crypto and machine learning, this is, machine learning is amazing like the stuff that you can do from the top down and so i got super focused on on just taking all those classes uh from fast ai and and from then on i was i was, I was pretty hooked on on this path got it and so, two years later i guess i'm yeah <laughs> i'm still <laughs> on this path so it's yeah i i got sucked into it yeah interesting so uh, fast ai was your first course that you signed up for or did you like uh, juggle around with other cools, courses as well uh I think quite a few. So the other one I think is Andrew Ning's machine learning course. Uh mm-hmm. that was the initial one that I took. Yeah. And and then Fast AI. I think there were still a few. There's a self-driving cor- uh, course on I think 
Coursera that I also took uh, for a little for like one semester. Is it on um, Coursera or or the Udacity one? Are you talking? Oh, about sorry, Udacity. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I get mixed up between all the all the videos that I've been taking, but mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I, I was taking a, quite a few kind of deep learning and classes, and uh, it helped kind of just help me generalize uh, kind of the theory and the basics for me. Got it. So you've also been a huge uh, and active member and contributor to the FASTA projects and the community as well. The other project that you've been a major contributor to is, uh, and this was titled as how to train your image net model under 18 minutes. So the project where the FASTA uh, collaboration happened to set the image net speed record for training on public infrastructure. That's the title of the project. And uh, now with auto music board. So uh, could you also tell us a bit more about your FASTA journey? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so I feel incredibly lucky to be on this like fast AI journey. Um, so after taking that first class, uh, I actually realized this part two was happening in San Francisco and a block away from where I was. Okay. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I might as well just drop in um, and go and take the class in person. And so being able to take the class in person, um, I think what's really amazing about FastAI is, is actually the community. So the online forums, mm-hmm. everyone there is just tr- learning uh, how to learn. It's just in the same boat. So everyone's just incredibly helpful. And so even being in person, uh, seeing how Jeremy works, and, um, and I think part of that ImageNet competition was through that class in person, uh, Jeremy was like, does anyone want to enter this competition and <laughs> see if we can beat out uh, all these companies like Google and Intel. And then a couple of us naive students are like, yeah, let's do it. I think we, we have a chance. <laughs> and, and luckily we actually got like pretty incredible results and surprising a bunch of people with, with much less resources. So uh, that's kind of a story. And then um, that's, that's actually, it was like really inspiring to be able to, to do something and then with, not without like a PhD background or a bunch of a, a huge research team and huge resources and that's mm-hmm. kind of what made me believe that it's it's possible to to kind of work in this deep learning field got it ha- have you followed the recent courses as well so given your ios background and to the audience i'd also like to mention that you built some amazing apps one also got the best productivity uh, app award by lifehacker i think so are oh, you yes. also <laughs> are you also excited about the swift for tensorflow scene that's that's going on and all that stuff uh, I'm super excited, but to be honest, I actually hadn't haven't watched the the most recent lectures on, okay. on uh, combining Swift, and I was kind of heads up heads down on this music project. So that's Got something you. I've been meaning to go back to and actually learn. And I, it would be amazing to to actually yeah. Get. Would love to see some more projects in that zone from you. But uh, we'll just talk about the music one in a bit. Uh, could you tell us more about uh, so? I constantly talk about this theme. Shout out to an episode with Robert Bracco. He's a contributor to an unofficial board of FastA audio, but it's about learning to learn. And because with FastA, it's sort of this open-ended question. How do you follow the material best and how do you take the material for yourself? So could you maybe tell us how did you approach the material and maybe how did you refactor your approach as you went on with it? I see. Yeah, I think everyone has different styles of learning. And for me, uh, I found out what worked best is, uh, so a- another class I actually 
uh, I think it is, this one is on Coursera that I had watched was like learning how to learn. And, <laughs> and yeah, that class, they talk about this thing like focused learning and diffuse learning. And so for me, taking the fast AI course, what worked best for me was actually just going through all the lectures really fast at once. And I know people say to stop and then really kind of look at, try to understand what's going on. But for me, it helped to just kind of get this general idea. And then actually from there, if there's anything that inspired me, I would, I would go deep into focus onto uh, whether it was like, uh, I think one project I did was style transfer. So uh, arbitrary style transfer. And that was one lecture in, um, in fast AI. And so I wanted to take this code that was in TensorFlow and convert it into PyTorch. So all along, I, I tried to, to look at different projects that I might be inspired on doing. Uh, but I kind of briefly just tried to do all the lectures as fast as I can before I, can, uh, okay. before I would kind of lose, yeah, lose so interest. You, you first completed all of the, just uh, like watch the complete videos and then went back to replicating the lesson code? Yes, uh -huh, exactly. So I'll go through them very fast. And then if there's parts in NLP or, or computer vision that I was interested in uh, on different research, I, I would go back into. Makes that. sense. Yeah. Got it. So uh, now shifting is to your recent project, Music Auto Award. Could you give us an understanding of uh, what's the challenging aspect here and what is Music Auto Award all about? Yeah. Uh, so the general idea for Music Autobot is actually just a tool to help uh, I guess producers or anyone just trying to compose music. And this was kind of a tool I created for myself because uh, I actually just also started getting into music production and it was just Interesting. how do I uh, use AI to help assist me to, to kind of build some cool melodies. And okay. so the general idea of Music Autobot is that we're combining uh, a few of like the recent advances in NLP uh, and we do it in a kind of a clever way so that you can if you have melody, we can translate that into chords. Mm -hmm. Or if you just have a few notes, we can kind of auto-complete that idea. Or if you have already have an existing song, we can remix that song into a different beat or just change a few notes that you don't like. And the actual, so when it comes down to the challenging aspects, I think the most challenging is, is probably uh, collecting the data set and formatting that. Um, and then like, once you can do that, it's actually a drop in, it's like really easy to just use the fast AI code that trains mm -hmm. a language model and then just apply it completely to music. Um, and then after that, of course, there's a few like tweaks you can do and optimizations for music, but in general, it's just data collection and then just applying fast AI language models to it. Interesting. Uh, so once you came up with the idea, could you maybe tell us like, how did you find the next steps of, uh, how do you tackle this problem? And maybe like, how did you find the ideas to explore? Yeah. Um, so I think the first, uh, probably the way I structure most of my projects is just try to get a really good baseline going. So once I have an idea, which is let's try to apply uh, mu uh, transformers to music. And, okay. and then going from that, it's just how do I get something working as fast as possible, which is what I learned from FastAI. Just just try to get something and then from the top down, uh, it doesn't matter if you're copying someone else's project or someone's code. So for me, uh, there were, there's, there's quite a few projects out there that are taking uh, music data and then, and then training AI on it. And whether it's like RNNs or, or other transformers. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, basically what I did was I took 
existing projects and I kind of modified it to the things that I would like to do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think the project has been under the wraps for five, six months, I think. And uh, could you tell us like what went on behind the curtains during that period? What was the prototyping experience like and what all ideas did you uh, iterate upon? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, and my, my Git history is all there. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I wasn't sure when releasing it, I should just keep it all there. But I think it's important to see that in, you know, this project took a long time and then for other people to see the whole process. Um, and so for me, I don't have much music background. So this was something I thought was super cool. So in the meantime, I was learning kind of music theory and then production on the meantime, and then also learning how transformers work. So okay. before uh, I, I knew a lot about Oh, I knew a little bit more about computer vision when we were doing that competition. And so mm -hmm. all this was a little bit new to me. And it was, uh, so those probably five, six months were a, a lot of switching between learning a little bit about music, learning a little bit about transformers. And every time I got stuck, I would just switch over to, to learning about um, either music, switching between learning music and learning uh, deep learning. So, okay. yeah. Got it. Um, I was going through a code base and I think it's somewhere around just 2,500 lines of code. Uh, could you, uh, so on the GitHub page, I'll have that linked in the description as well. Uh, could you walk us through the code base, what all is in there? I think you've also created a library, which again is music autobot. Yes. Uh, so this, yes, I didn't realize there's 2,500 lines of code. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess it kind of just grew that way. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot I can, I can clean up, but uh, the library is basically a glue between um, uh, a Python framework called Music21, which is dealing with uh, music data and then being able to kind of manipulate it in, in a way so that you can train deep learning models on. And okay. then, so, uh, so the two main libraries I used were, uh, were Music21 and FastAI. So this whole library is kind of a glue between those two uh, to get okay. things to work well together. Um, so yeah, as mentioned earlier, the hardest part, I would probably say 80% of the data of the lines of code is around data formatting and data encoding. And then the, the other 20% is probably these models uh, that I've combined together and um, uh, for training music. Got it. Uh, so Music 21 comes into a picture of data set handling. Could you tell us uh, where does FastA come into the picture for, for this? So how do you use FastA in the project? So I use FastA for basically all of the training that I do. So once I have the data set ready, um, I've used most of FastA, the same code to train a language model. I've used to train a music model and mm -hmm. The only difference is I've changed the, a lot of things are very, are pretty custom within FastAI, but FastAI yeah. makes things uh, incredibly easy to customize. So uh, the callback systems, mm -hmm. you can kind of tell it to, we're, we're handling music data. So for data augmentations within music, instead, what this is, is you're basically transposing the song from the key of C to like the key of E, and that way you can multiply your data set. And there's a few other things that I've used FastAI for. Uh, the biggest thing is the training loop, but also for parallelization across multiple CPUs. Okay. Um, so you'd already worked on the ImageNet competition. Do you think your quote and go fast AI experience was helpful from there? 
I think so. I think it, it was very helpful for this project. Um, the way to structure, I guess the way to structure the project for me was first just kind of getting a, a pretty good baseline. And then the second part was actually just keeping really, really, uh, I think it's more getting uh, a lot of logs and then mm -hmm. real and keeping track of all your experiments. So I probably have maybe a hundred, more than a hundred notebooks where <laughs> I, I have all the logs of all my experiments and each, maybe sometimes it's just one line of change so that I can kind of go back and, and, and okay. take a look at it. So uh, doing a competition is a little bit different from doing your own project from the ground up, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that transfer over. Okay. Uh, now going back to the data set collection part, could you maybe uh, walk us through what the pipeline looked like and uh, did you look into the legal copyright aspects of it as well because you also created a chain smoker ZMX and now when I upload my video to YouTube, I'm always afraid of putting these songs into the video. So did you go through that as well? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the data, I'm not sure if I should mention this, but it was actually scraped from uh, some websites. <laughs> so all the music files were scraped from uh, these sites that host MIDI files for free. Mm -hmm. And my basic understanding was that I think it's more okay to train on, but then uh, not releasing the data set publicly. And this is after I went back and when I was thinking about releasing the model, I, I went and talked to these companies that I actually, uh, I, I took a lot of data from. And then they said, yeah, uh, it's actually totally fine. It happens. Okay. Oh, uh, it, it does happen sometimes for academic sets. And so as long as you don't release any of that and you keep it super secure, uh, it's okay to train your models on that. Just, just don't release any of that data. And so at least for me, uh, uh, I've only just released the model and then all the songs that I have are, are actually a slight variations of the, of the actual song and only within like maybe 10 seconds, um, uh, a 10 second clip of the actual song. Mm. Uh, so we, you now, let's say you have the data in place, maybe if you could walk us through the pipeline of the project. Uh, so I know it's pretty, pretty technical. So we'll have all of the four blog posts written by you linked in the description, but if you could give us a high level overview of what's going on in the project. Yeah, um, starting from the top. So it's this web app uh, and that is all built in, in Vue and it's a static front end that, uh, that I've hosted on GitHub pages. And all that really does is it talks to our uh, API server, which hosts uh, a pre-trained model uh, that I've built on using all the music data. And that API in the backend is, is uh, hosted um, on AWS and, on the, mm -hmm. and it's uh, using Flask. Uh, so okay. it's basically just receiving a request. So as soon as you click generate, uh, we send that music file from the front end to our back end, and then we we start uh, we start predicting uh, from there. Got it. And then uh, what? How like how was the model trained upon? If you could walk us through that pipeline as well. So you have the trained model put up in the Flask web app, but uh, how was that actually trained upon? Uh, so that model was trained uh, separately, and uh, I've I. Uh, in general, I, I used a Jupyter notebook, and um, it, within the project, you can see that see 
see the notebook how I went through the steps to, to train. But uh, the first step is just uh, formatting all the data and saving that. And then I used FastAI's uh, training code, uh, mm -hmm. like one cycle learning and uh, were, were a few other ones. So mostly just uh, FastAI's training code to, okay. to train the model. Uh, and, and then uh, for the prediction part, that was uh, the part where most of the modifications came to be able mm -hmm. to predict uh, music notes instead of text. Gotcha. So the main meat of the problem lies in a the data set and then um, generating the music. Yes. Uh -huh. Got it. Uh, now you also worked on a few recent uh, architectures to code BERT and Transformer Excel along with seek to seek which is an older model. Uh, if you could help us understand how did you went ahead and like uh, researched about these and how did you end up implementing them? Because I don't think FASTA has an uh, inbuilt implementation of these. Oh, yes. Um, so that part was uh, combining BERT, uh, Transformer, and Seek2Seek. -seek. Uh, so the reason I did that for music was that uh, instead of just um, taking a few notes and then auto-completing that idea, uh, with BERT, you can erase a few notes and then you can have the BERT model uh, predict those notes. And so that's kind of like a little bit of a remix. And then for sequence to sequence, uh, that uh, sequence to sequence is usually used for translation. And so what I used that model for was if you have chords, you can translate it to melody, or if you have melody, you can translate to chords. And uh, those models were actually something I, I, I had been playing around with separately. So uh, when I was working on the transformer Excel code, uh, Bert came out with these incredible results. And I was like, I want to try Bert, see if it works for music. And, mm -hmm. and so I had all these things separately. And the uh, idea around combining them came out when I saw this paper called Unified LM by Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind that was being able to combine uh, BERT and, and, these, and the transformer Excel. Uh, so for BERT, you have the bidirectionality, which helps with the context. Uh, but mm -hmm. they're also super slow to train because you're only training on maybe 15% uh, of the tokens. Um, and so the, the idea behind uni, unified LM was to combine those both, uh, combine both, uh, and get the benefits of bidirectionality of BERT and, mm -hmm. and the fast training of, uh, of the transformer. And so I, I read just the summary and I was like, oh, this is super awesome. I'm going to go <laughs> implement it. And it turns out it didn't do exactly as I thought. It, it was actually even slower in training. Uh, it wasn't, it didn't exactly combine the transformer in the way that I thought uh, thought it was. And so uh, the idea of combining these three came from that was uh, when that paper didn't solve exactly what I was thinking of, uh, I was like, well, if, if I wanted to solve my problem, how, how would that work? And, mm -hmm. and eventually I kind of, uh, so it was just that, that idea of combining the both, uh, both transformer and BERT, uh, where I built on top of it and then, and then, uh, combine it in a way where we, we use translation and masking and, and forward prediction. Interesting. Uh, I'm curious how, uh, how much of GPUs went into this project, uh, what all hardware went into creating music Autobot? Uh, how much hardware went into this? Yeah, how, how much hardware, how many graphic cards? <laughs> uh, so the training in the end, I'm using eight V100s okay. and it takes about, uh, 
maybe 36 hours to train the whole model. So yeah, I, I, I'm using quite a bit of compute power to train this. Um, and that's a lot because I, I, I have uh, quite a bit of data, but mm -hmm. you can probably shorten it. Mm -hmm. But again, uh, the results are pretty promising, so it's definitely worth it. Oh yeah, for sure. And <laughs> I'm actually just training, I think a comparison, I'm training GPT too small. So if I would train a larger model, I'm sure it would take maybe double, triple the time of that. Interesting. Yeah. So there, there's still a lot of improvements that I can do on this model. I just don't have as much resources. Gotcha. Uh, now I really love how the website functions. So for the listeners, please go to musicautobot.com. Do check it out. But it works as like, uh, as Jeremy always mentions with keeping a human in the loop along with the AI. So was that intentional and what are your thoughts around that? Do you think this will also enable producers to maybe be more productive, maybe in a version two? Uh, I hope so. So actually this last weekend, uh, when I posted my project online, someone reached out on Twitter saying that I would love to try to make a song with uh, AI assisted. And so this past weekend, we, we spent basically trying to do that. And the results, we were able to get one verse out of it, but we weren't able to kind of complete a whole song. And that was the old, always the, the idea of this was that uh, I didn't want to focus more on the performance side of generating something that you can listen to continuously. But for me, it was mostly focusing on pop music and building something that to help producers. And I think that's where the state AI is at right now is that maybe chatbots are not quite there yet, uh, mm -hmm. like fully replacing humans, but I think it's great for something, maybe it's like autocomplete or, or helping you kind of change the style of your story. Or, or, and I think there's a huge area in AI assistance right now. So, um, and you've been uh, pretty honest in your write-up as well that the fifth uh, generation sounded pretty good for, for the Roses remix. In my experience, it, it was somewhere around the same number. So what I, how I look at it is uh, maybe like allowing a human to just throw some ideas at the model and see what it uh, gives back to, you know, maybe just have a partner to bounce ideas off as a producer. I think so. Uh, and I think at least as us humans, it's like incredibly easy to listen to something and realize, hey, that doesn't sound right. But yeah. when it comes down to actually writing something from scratch, it's just, it's, it's a little bit harder and it takes a little bit more kind of mental, um, mental power to, to come to write something from scratch. And so for this, it would be mostly, yeah, just generating ideas and some of them sound pretty bad, but also some of them are just like out there where you can be like, Oh, uh, that might work. And I'll just change a few notes. And yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the, the whole idea behind it. Got it. Uh, so coming to the part where this can be improved upon. So for someone who's maybe trying to improve upon this or uh, trying to reach out to help to you, uh, what suggestions you have, where should they start or any ideas that you have? Yeah. Uh, within the whole music area, I think there's a lot of uh, areas to, to improve on. Um, one is, uh, is also just generating the actual sound. So right now I'm only using with uh, using music notes. But if you can generate the actual sound in maybe using different instruments or in a different style, uh, that's one way to kind of improve on this idea to, to provide inspiration for, for music producers. And as for, um, 
As for other features, I think one thing that could also improve is that, uh, as you said earlier, like maybe one out of five or, or maybe like one out of 10 things like sound okay. And, and to, to build, uh, maybe to build like a music critic on top of that. So before, uh, instead of us having to filter out all the good and bad songs, we can have a music critic that can maybe filter out half of the songs. Uh, that can decide, hey, this sounds like something hmm. that we trained on, or this sounds, this doesn't sound like anything. It's just a little bit too random. Makes sense. But again, the challenging aspect is to a human, it's pretty easy to say that that sounds like trash, but creating a critic that can actually correctly classify that would again be a challenge in itself, I assume. Oh, yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, it's, uh-huh. Now, uh, please go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no. Uh, I, I was going to say, especially... Uh, a critic that is is just t- um, designed for any person's taste. So what I think is good, yeah. but the critic might not think is good. So having True. that, yeah, to tune it is also very hard. Definitely. Now zooming out a bit. So there's always this question of should I end my project or should I continue exploring because nothing works until it does in machine learning. Uh, I'm sure m- many of your projects might have failed when you were uh, building this project. So where did you draw the line of do you want to continue exploring upon the idea or do you want to maybe switch to another idea? Yeah, um, that happened a lot. And I just, <laughs> I, I took maybe like five or six months on this project and, and it was basically just deep diving into, into trying to make it work. And for me, I would try to go as far as possible. Mm-hmm. And then until I ran out of ideas on, uh, on how to make it work. And it was mostly, if there weren't any more late, low hanging fruit left, then I was like, it, it's probably time to move on. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I decided to, to switch over. And so, and for me, it was pretty easy to, because I was doing a cross intersection between music and deep learning, it was easy, a little bit easy for me to switch every time I got stuck. And then if I got inspired again, I would go back and, and try out uh, a different idea that I had. Got it. Uh, maybe zooming out to a general advice, uh, what advice do you have or suggestion do you have for people who don't have their passion projected or maybe their app idea yet? Yeah, I, for me, it's, it's always a little bit about exploring. So I, I didn't have this idea from the beginning, but it was uh, in the meantime, when I don't have an idea, it was, it was learning. So taking the fast AI courses, or, or learning a little bit more about deep learning uh, research that's going on now. So uh, maybe it was like blog posts about recent advances in papers. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so when I when I was didn't have my own passion project, it was it was just kind of building up to when that idea came, I can I would be able to implement it and not be frustrated about uh, about how lo- how much longer it took or all the other things I needed to learn before that. And that's kind of the way I went about it. It's like, if you don't have a project yet, it's just kind of do a little bit exploring and then do a little bit of learning. And then once that, that idea comes, it's just go, uh, go uh, super focused on that project and see what you can do with it. It's in my opinion, it's also about chasing the idea for quite a while because things usually don't work initially, maybe for quite a while until they start to show some promise. Oh yeah, it's incredibly frustrating uh, sometimes where things don't work <laughs> or things don't uh, turn out the way you expect it to. And I think part of the journey is just 
it it's it helps a uh, it really helps if it's something that you're you really care about or something that you think is really cool um, and Definitely. if it's something that you don't then it, it's really hard to pull through and so there's a lot of projects I have that are just just completely just failed and I've abandoned because I just didn't feel you know the work was worth it to to put mm -hmm. into it uh, now you attended the fast year course in person uh, I want to ask you what advice do you have for someone who's just maybe MOOC educated and trying to get a break into the field. So any best suggestions for a MOOC educated person searching for jobs in the field? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm actually in that same boat. So I'm a MOOC educated person. And I'm also right now trying <laughs> to, to get into that field. So just take this all with a grain of salt, because uh, right now, I'm, I'm still doing this on the side. And I think my biggest advice is that it would, for me, it helps a lot to, to just do this not, um, more with something that you're, you're, as something that you're very super interested in. And I think I, I was incredibly lucky to, to be able to, uh, to do this full time. But for people who, who have jobs or, or other commitments and, and, and they're learning this, uh, the idea is it, it takes a, a ton of time and a ton of patience. Okay. And so just not to be frustrated. And if you get frustrated, don't, don't, um, you know, don't fault yourself and, and you can take a break and come back. And these things, I think a lot of people in this uh, are like PhDs and they took five years. So kind of the, the thought that I should be able to do this in a year, uh, that, that can kind of be uh, very demotivating if you don't mm -hmm. feel like you're, you're measured up against them. So I think for me, it's just kind of take your time and, and do things that because you really are, are very interested in it. And, and, and it helps a lot uh, to not, yeah, to not get burned out super easily. That's great advice. Uh, before we conclude the call, what would be your best advice to people who are just starting their journey in deep learning? Any best advices and how not to get intimidated by all the amazing work that's going on in the field? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard to also to just get sidetracked me like, oh, this is so amazing. Maybe, maybe I should try that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but just starting out, um, I, I feel like I was the same way. And and maybe joining like a fast AI community where everyone is in the same boat and everyone's doing incredibly cool stuff, but they're also talking about the things they didn't understand. And, and other people are frustrated too about maybe how long it takes. And having that community is, is really great because uh, it, it helps push you along and then everyone can learn at the same time. And, and for me, I think having that, uh, that's kind of what kept me motivated all for these past couple of years. Just out of curiosity, so I've always taken the course online and you've taken it both offline and on, uh, in person as well, uh, in person and online as well, sorry. Uh, mm. did, did you find any difference or do you feel it's, it's honestly the same experience for both, both the categories? Uh, so online and in person, I think the, the lectures uh, that, um, when you're watching, I think it's pretty similar. And mm -hmm. The, I think the difference for me was that uh, Jeremy does these study groups uh, in San Francisco and then being able to attend those study groups, uh, that was probably uh, the biggest help for me to be in, being able to see how Jeremy prepares the lectures and how he works. Uh, that alone was, was really good. But I, I believe whether you're online or, or in person, you can get a, a, a very good experience. Um, the other person, uh, I think it's Sylvain, who was who was yeah. purely online and then 
he was he was really active in the forums, and I think he's gotten uh, just uh, as good experience, or if not better than than anyone who was just in there in person and and being able to see how everyone works. That's a great point. So thank you for the amazing conversation. Before we end the call, what would be the best platforms to follow your work and maybe your next amazing project whenever that will come out? Oh yeah. Uh, so probably the best platform is just music autobot.com and that's where the project is released and any updates on that area I'll, I'll be putting up there gotcha and how about your personal profiles any profiles that you want to mention um my personal profile probably uh hit me up on twitter it's uh bear pelican and so b-e-a-r-p-e-l-i-c-a-n uh okay. and then yeah message me with any ideas and and that's where i'll, I'll be posting any updates Awesome. Uh, all right, Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. And thanks a lot for creating the future AI to replace EDM producers. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review. Or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.